had a hard time receiving. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I uh, totally get where you're coming from. Like for me, it would be like, okay, if someone offered me a, a, a bong hit or, or like a beer, like I know I could do that and I would feel good. Like I know, mm -hmm. I know, I know like the feel, I know like the feeling associated with, with freaking and then, and then exhaling. But then I'm like, okay, that just doesn't work for me. Like if I do that, then I'm going, I'm just going to be going down. But like, I can say, yeah, and I, yeah, well, that sounds good. And if it still worked, I'd probably do it, but it doesn't work for me anymore. So I need to not, and, but, but like being aware and going, yeah, no, thanks. Instead of mm -hmm. like making this big, you know, like I had, I had, uh, uh, someone offer me, someone gave me a chocolate at work mm. last week. Mm or like two weeks ago, just, to, and I, I didn't even think about it. And I freaking like popped it in my mouth. It was a truffle. And like, I popped it in my mouth. I took two bites and I was like, is there fucking booze in there? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I was like, no, it's no big deal. Like it just, I'm just not going to like the, I bit into it and I'm like, pause, there's booze. I'm, I could probably eat it and I'm not going to like have to start my sobriety date over, but no. like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm, I'm just going to get rid of that thing and then be like, I didn't crucify them for it. And I was like, you know, I, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I was like, yeah, it's no big deal. You know, I don't drink, but I'm not going to like hold you over to the, you're, you're my friend. Like I work with you. It's not, you weren't trying to like blow my cup. Well, it's really not <laughs> theirs, right? I mean, no. it's not theirs. It's not, it's not, you know, we don't, we only live, we're, we're living our lives not to, most people have zero, 1% maybe awareness around other people's experiences. Right. You know, and the people that have more than that, maybe the, you know, 20%, they're prophets. Okay. The ultra so, enlightened. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, but most of, most people are not really in the, uh, you know, living their lives worried about whether or not Matt can have the truffle, right? I mean, they're just not. So it's, it, but we internalize that stuff, but you didn't in that moment. You didn't internalize that they did or make it mean any of this stuff. But, you know, it would be, it's really easy to, if you, if you have some sort of hurt around people not seeing you. Yeah. It's really interesting. Like if you had a hurt around people not seeing you or you didn't do some work around that and that part of your life, then you might have been really offended and hurt by them. And you might have thought that that was really a hurt action. But really, in the reality of it, they were just wanting to give you a truffle. Yeah, they just wanted they me to wanted enjoy a chocolate. They wanted you to experience what you, you know <laughs> what I mean? They were just being nice. They're just being really kind. But yeah. your internal system, because if you're, if you're hurt around all of that, what we bring with us is so powerful. It really is. I mean, that's really, a, you know, and I'm just highlighting that back in a way because it's, if we really think about all the stuff we're really offended and hurt by, yes, there's people really are assholes out there. <laughs> and yes, they really, you know, are, you know, part of it is they feel superpower strong because they hurt other people, but there's a, most of the people are not. Majority of the people are just living unconsciously thinking, I'm going to give Matt a truffle that has weed in it or alcohol or whatever it is. You yeah. Know? It's totally whatever. funny that you, that you said that you use the word unconscious that they're living unconsciously because most like I kind of call it sleepwalking. 
You know, like people, most people are just sleepwalking through life. Mm. And, and like, like I get into conversations with people and they'll, they'll take umbrage or they'll take, they'll be like, well, this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, why do you even give that thing energy? Like, that's ridiculous. Like that, that person's not thinking about you. <laughs> They're not. Mm-hmm. And, and by you getting upset with their action, because you feel like it was towards you, they were just being themselves. Like, like, I, um, like I, I used to get my brother, I used to say is like a, you know, I'd be like, oh man, my brother, my brother, my brother. And then finally I was like, he is just, that's him. Like he, he, you know, like he has quirks and he has his own way of dealing with things and his own way of going through life. And, but like, you started to see him, Matt, you started to see him. You know, and it's that, you know, Bren Brown talks about this too. Brene Brown talks about this too, is that, is that we start dehumanizing people if we have a wound around them. Yep. And so as we elevate, as we start to get more conscious, as we start to learn more about who we are, you know, and who people really are, like you're saying, the essence of what you're describing is that, is that he's a human being going through his own experiences, his own quirks. Well, that's, you know, in the yogi world, <laughs> you know, you're becoming a little more Yoda as we get older. I mean, the, the, that there's compassion for people. That's what I am hearing in that, that you're starting, you started to have more compassion around who he is and stopped dehumanizing him and started to see him for who he was. And, and when we do that and we really take a step back, that is an evolved perspective. So yes, I'm talking about unconsciousness and people are walking around unconscious, but not as a judgment, as a, as part of a survival human way of being. Right, I mean, right. It's just part of our wiring. We yep. don't even know. So what's happening when we start to evolve is, is our soul starts to, you know, our fingerprint of who we really are, our spirit of who we are, starts to emerge, you know, and typically it happens, you know, when we're pushed into either being that or we have a calling inside of us or we start to mature. <laughs> yeah. yeah I think, I think. I'm not saying it's immature if people aren't conscious. I'm just saying that people, you know, we really start to go, oh, wait a minute, is this, this is not working anymore. And feeling mad about my brother because he exists well, is not serving me, you know, yeah. or him or the relationship, you know. I'm not going to, I'm not ever going to change him or anybody else. No, no. But, but also realizing like, I don't have to, because I say, okay, he's going to be this way or, and and this is years years past you know like where i was like okay well he's this way and then and then talking with someone they're like yeah but don't you and i'm like i'm not gonna like i'm not gonna get there's no reason for me to continue getting angry about how that he operates and i don't have to agree with it and i can be like well yeah you know he's kind of a dick but i still love him he's my brother and that you know like just because I accept someone the way they are doesn't mean I agree. Well, you're or... not internalizing. No, you stopped internalizing. No. You, you created some independence. You know, most of us live in codependent relationships, and that's not a diagnosis. I'm not, you know, a psychologist. That's not what, but most of us live in this agreement that, you know, if they're an asshole, that you, then I get to internalize being mad about that. Yeah. That is enmeshment. That's, there's no separation there. I mean, you're upset and you're an asshole. And you're going through something, and I don't get to let that kill my vibe. Does that mean that I want to be around it and whatever? You know, no. But if do I, what's the solution in that? Well, the solution is like shit. They're going through something. 
that's what happens for me is I don't have to fix it in that moment, but shit, you're going through something. Hey, bud, you're mad. Oh shit, you're pissed. Right. You're being a total, you're taking out me. I'm sure I'm pretty sure I didn't do anything, but if I did, let me know. Yeah. And you're not internalizing. There's some yeah. independence. There's some separation and you just took the hurt out of it. You know, your six-year-old, your eight-year-old, 10-year-old didn't like it. It probably felt hurt by him. And, and so because that, or you didn't like the way that was felt made you feel inside, you kept that with you. And it sounds like you've separated that, which is amazing. I mean, really that's how I see it. You know, like, how it, when what you're describing is you created some autonomy and independence and and there's compassion in there. Yeah, but it changes from person to person. Like For that, sure. like it, it like it becomes yeah. a new. It's the same thing and and like and I talked about this a long time ago in my in like like we keep getting the lesson until we actually learn it and it changes shape and changes disguises and all those kinds of things. It's really yeah. We could I could go on talking to. You talking to you about this for probably like another 15 hours. I, I want to, we, we've been going, I think we started a little bit late, but I want to go backwards a little bit. Okay. So to before you and I met, yeah. Um, you had touched on kind of how you grew up mm. and, and th this, I mean, I want you to, you know, as much as you want to tell, like, how did you get, so for, when I met you, you were, I mean, I fell in love with you instantaneously when I met you at the Reno room. Um, you were like this powerful, strong, and I think, I mean, we're only a few years separated in, mm -hmm. in age. Yeah, I'm 47. Um, what's that? I'm 47. 40, yeah. So you're two years older. Mm -hmm. um, but like you were just, you were on a different level than I felt like I was when we first met, but how did you get from, like how you were growing up with, you know, you said your mom was, had some addiction problems and, and, you know, you just grew up in, I don't want to say tumultuous. I'm not going to put the words into your mouth, but it you was. just kind of, it was, I mean, how you grew up, I'm, I would venture to say if we talked about how we grew up, like our, I, I would say that our lives mirror our like mm. growing up lives probably mirrored each other uh, quite a bit, but how did you get I mean, and you've touched on this, but how did you get from there to, to elevate with Corey to like all, I mean, like you were in the, you were in the bar business, you were in the restaurant business, you were in the entertainment business. Um, you know, how did, how did you, you made it sound like I was, I stepped into being, um, like a porn star. No, just no, kidding. no. <laughs> just kidding. You're people, in the entertainment people, business. You were on the pole. Which no, is, pe people end up uh, there. People end up there. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. That's the place where people <laughs> no, end I'm up. Totally um, thank you for asking that. I mean, honestly, you know, um, the the brief of it is because it's a it's a huge story. I mean, it's part of who I am. You know, I, I my elevate with elevate your life is from the grit to the infinite, and so I started out very in the grit, and um, I really have a, a a tremendous amount of respect and compassion for people that um, suffer. And um, especially when it comes to just the life you're born into. And, you know, my parents were incredible human beings and sweet and loving and funny and, um, you know, and really um, powerful people in their own right. And I spent a lot more time with my mom than I did with my dad. I mean, my dad's a wild, my dad was a, you know, a wild horse. And so, um, 
he was off living, you know, a very wild life. And, and in some ways it protected me because that's, that wildness was, he was a teenager. You know, my dad was 19 when he had me and my mom was 18. And, um, you know, all the wounds and all the tumultuousness, it's, it was the seventies, Matt, (laughs) we called it hands-off parenting, you know, um, they were in reaction of the fifties of all this control of all this. You're supposed to look and feel and be this way and we have to be perfect. And they were in a reaction and rebellion from that and trying to find their own independence. It was the world of Vietnam coming home and a lot of drugs, especially in the the coast in California and especially where we were in Huntington beach and long beach and seal beach. I mean, it was saturated and it was a, and the beach towns have a, you know, already have a little party, <laughs> um, the vacation, right, sort of uh, foundation around them. So they were involved in all of that and had a child. And so I came through it with feeling a lot of passion and love and felt love from them. But their actions really, um, really shaped me in terms of what I thought love was and who I had to be. and and. Early on, I took the journey on wanting to figure that out. Uh, I think I was, I think that that was part of, um, I was born in my journey of my spirit life, if you will, to understand that there was that polarity and knew that there was that polarity and tried to figure that out early on. I mean, I, I think I remember even being five or six years old, knowing that my family loved me, but they couldn't help but be who they were and even following and pulling that thread is how what got me here so the 15 I found myself in an extremely abusive relationship and I remember um and this was a very pivotal moment and and getting to to the core of your question is how I got here is that I remember knowing that the behavior I saw and my mom was in a lot of physical abusive relationships emotionally and um, as well. And I knew I didn't want that. I knew I wasn't that. My heart was, you know, um, that didn't feel right for me. But I found myself in an abusive relationship. And so I started struggling with this, with this victim weak and this strong leadership powerful person and inside of me. And I so he was very physical, you know, and he hit me. And I remember in that moment thinking to myself, I was 15 or 16. I remember thinking, motherfucker, <laughs> like, how the hell could you do that? I'm such a sweet, loving person. How could you do this? Right. And in the same breath, I thought, oh, he's damaged. And I am here to fix him and help him. How crazy is that? And in that moment, it's not, that, not, not that. No, but it all it's got, in, that it's all infused for me. Right, right. And it was that, yes, I was a victim, but my victim became part of my superpower of wanting to help somebody else. So it was this under this creation that happened. I remember writing my mother a letter and being so upset at my mom and my dad because they both watched a lot of physical, um, on both sides, I watched them in 
physically tumultuous relationships. And, um, and again, they're not, they weren't angry people. It was just what ended up occurring out of alcohol and drugs and trying to find their independence and struggling with all of that and not making excuses. It's just, they're not mean spirited people. This is not like their intention, right? But this is what they ended up in. And this is what I saw. And so when that happened, I knew in my system, it was not okay. And I should go. But immediately, I wrote a letter to my mom after that situation. And I was like, and I, I believe I wrote it to my dad too. I, I don't remember if I had a voice with my father yet at that time, but I think he was just newly getting sober. And, um, but I remember saying to her, fuck you for showing me this. Fuck you for showing me this. And, and I can't believe that I'm in this situation. And I want to tell you, I will find my way out of this. Right. And at 15, I set myself on a journey of to wanting to heal. So can I ask you, mm-hmm. were your parent were your parents divorced? Oh yeah. So my oh, parents okay. my parents were a little they had a little love fest in the 70s, 1970. And um the crazy part is, you know, my mom was like, I'm not ready to be a mother. My mom was 17 when she got pregnant and my dad was like, well, if you don't want to keep her, I do, or this child, I do. Oh, wow. And, okay. Um, he, the day that they, she was actually going to go get an abortion and the day, um, and this has nothing to do with all of that. And, you know, <laughs> I'm a huge supporter of Planned Parenthood, but, um, but they, they chose not to, they chose to have me, you know, and my dad was really like, I feel like this child is needs to be born and I'll take care of her if I need to. Although he was dealing with so much of what he was dealing with and, and they had me and then um, they moved to Hawaii. My mom was from Hawaii um, and they moved to Hawaii and she was a Hapa and half we thought Hawaiian and my dad was a surfer in Huntington beach. And so it was kind of a perfect life and they idea ideal of that and they went and moved to Hawaii and they lived there for about a year and a half my mom said that she was bringing me home for Christmas to visit her parents and and my and his grand his parents and um, she left and never came back so they kind of broke up and he didn't know they broke up and she just kept moving you know so and it really never I mean I don't think they got divorced until she was about to get remarried again when I was about 11, they never really had a conversation around it. That's incredible. I know. It's pretty crazy. Incredible. Yeah. But all these parts. And so when I was 15 and I set on that road to, to heal and to make changes, I started to see myself as more of my, you know, that was my strong part of me. I pulled my bootstraps up. I went and was like, I'm going to be the person that, um, so I'm going to be, a, you know, not, I wasn't using this language at the time, but I'm going to be better. I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to, I'm not going to allow myself to be victimized. All of this situation, it took me a few years to build myself. So when you met me, I guess I was in my twenties, I started out, um, I left my, my mom's house. My mom set some boundaries. She got clean and sober. My dad was sober. I pretty much you know, what felt already on my own for a very long time. I felt like I was my parents' parents since I was five years old. And so, and I don't have any siblings. 
Right. And it's part of the behavior of part of what happens when you have children, you know, parents of addiction and you're a child of addiction. But um, the other thing was that I, I started to create now looking back now having awareness around this, I started to create a, a, a disconnect when they were starting in recovery. I started this, it created this disconnect because I'm like, Oh, now you want to show up. And it was my, and now you want to start showing up for me. And now you want to do this. I already have got this. I'm actually better at living life than you are. And I'm better at living your life than you are. And it was part of my survival thing. So when you met me, I was in the thick of that. Like Mm -hmm. I was in the core belief that that was who I was. But what was subtly attached and connected to that was that I really thought the person I was was the victim, was the wounded person. So I really was attracted to people at that time who saw who needed me to need to help them so my system and my wiring and my pattern was physiologically attracted to that unhealthy way of being so i had that plus i had this personality side of me that i went forward to make myself better and to heal and to move forward but those parts were really glommed on together and so i had a lot of um, polarity that i was dealing with so when you saw me at the reno room i was stepping into my best self but it didn't always feel right for me but i did a really good job because quarterly in the in the in who i am without that i call it the old the original operating system who I am without that original operating system is of leadership of loving and caring and support and, and is strong. And I am all of those amazing things. That's who I am. But that original operating system was what was really driving inside of me. So I was in battle with that internally. That was what I was going through. So you saw this part of me that was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'm just, you know, navigating in that. And that's probably why it showed up so much. Like it was my superhero version. And, um, but my wound was really driving a lot I, of that. Yeah. I just remember strength. I mean, like, you, and that's like, who I am, Yeah, you know, but I feel like it was, it was honestly, Matt, it was, I call it like a six scoops of ice cream on a 120 degree weather day. <laughs> <laughs> that strength inside of me kept me protected. So yeah. it didn't always work. It didn't cause, it didn't create flow. It didn't create intimacy. It didn't create a lot of trust. It, you know, it didn't create a lot of that because I was super blocked off. Right? right. And so I was living in a lot of my rational survival self. So that's why it showed up so powerfully, I guess, you know, but today it's still in, I mean, that's who I am, but I'm also right. allowing my, I, I, I have also unhooked that wound and that survivor part of me. And Today I live in a really flow of vulnerability and I don't have to have that superpower of strength. You know, my strength of all of that is now part of the essence of who I am. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I've meld more into a more whole person of me. So I'm not just like 23 and yes, I can, you know, I mean, that's part of me, but it's not. I can kick every motherfucker's ass in this place. Well, and that was, that was part of my, right. I mean, that's who I had to be. I had to be that because if not, then what I saw was then I was a victim. Right. You know, I didn't ever allow anybody to touch me or physically in that way ever again. 
you know? So, I mean, that, after that relationship, you know, and, and that person has made their amends and didn't want to be that person. And it's really incredible. I mean, we're Facebook friends. And you, and you were, and you were in Long Beach at that time. Yes. And you know, what's funny is I think the core of that sober group of the LBC. Do you want, do you want to, do you, (laughs) do you want to, um, know something? I think, I think we may have discussed this at one time. So I grew up in the shore. Yep. uh, And for most of my time in the shore, I lived on the corner of prospect and division. And I was in, I was a huge skateboarder. And um, did you went to Wilson for a brief period, correct? I went to Lowell Rogers and Wilson. And Wilson, okay. So I just heard your podcast when you were talking about Mr. Ching. Oh, I had Mr. Mr. Ching. Ching. Was awesome. I had Mr. Ching, and then I registered my son for he went to Lowell Rogers Wilson. I registered. I'm in the orientation of him, and I just heard you talking to somebody about this, but I I was in the orientation. Don I was, yeah, Don. Yeah. So I. Um, I, I don't know her, but, um, is that right? Is that, yeah, yeah I don't, but I don't think I do. But anyway, and when you said that, and I remember Cobble coming up and he was like, Cobble, who's Cobble? Who's Max Cobble? I was like, <laughs> and I'm sitting right next to him. And he goes, and your mother, Corey, she was in my class. Is she here? And I was like, yeah, anyway, he was lovely. So it was he awesome. Was, he it was, was the shit. Mm-hmm. But I had, so I had, uh, two really good friends of mine were probably in the, are probably the same age you are, mm-hmm. uh, Ian Hubbard mm-hmm. and Andrew Brown mm-hmm. and, Andy, I, and Brown. Andy Brown. And then, uh, I, I haven't seen that guy since I was probably in junior high, but, mm-hmm. um, there was a guy, I think you told me that you dated, uh, Darth. Darth Elledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was, he Not, lived he, like, I'm sure he doesn't. I'm sure he doesn't want me to tell everybody that I dated. <laughs> oh, pardon me. I was, Sorry. I was a problem we, we, child. Can, we did not say that. We did not say that. But, well, but I, so I, like. I was not in my good integral behavior at that time in my life. But, but so <laughs> there's a chance that we may have even met before. Really? Before, because I, I, I remember he lived like, he lived like I lived at 133 Prospect, and he probably lived at like 165 or something like that. Well, his parents lived right on that corner of the alley right there, right? I mean, like right off of there. Oh, I didn't know that. So, do you know the alley to 2nd Street? Or not the alley, you know that road? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like... The yeah, diagonal where, road where you could turn on to Quincy or on 2nd yeah, Street? Uh-huh. Yeah, right there. Mm-hmm. So his parents live right there. Well, so... But when I remember meeting him, he his his he lived like down closer to division. Oh, he did. Oh, okay, maybe I'm I don't wrong. know. But anyway, anyway, and then there was the the family, the two girls that lived across the street, mm-hmm. uh, Mariana Burfitt, I think was her name, and and Karina was her sister, was like a little bit younger than me. But yeah, there was a there is a possibility that we may have crossed paths sure. at one point. And then we used to, used to skate that pool across. This, there used to be an empty pool up on up on Quincy. Yeah, up on Quincy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I was I was with him and An, Andrew Brown. And then and then there was a well, Rodney Castle, I think was that freaking. And then Gary Ferguson. Gary, do you remember Gary? He was half Asian guy. They were tattooed too early. Gary Gary worked at Christie's. Yep, Gary did. Oh, of course you know Gary. But Gary was skating that pool 
with Darth and all of those guys around that time. And there was, it wasn't like the pool wasn't around for a long period of time. I mean, somebody had emptied a home, they yeah. just were jumping yep. the wall yep, 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 yep. and we were hanging out there. So and that, Jimmy, I'm sure, and I'm sure you Jimmy did. Jimmy Scott, Jimmy Scott was another one of those guys that was like a Wilson that dude. That time that was, was a little such a blur for me. I mean, I know like there was certain people that I know um, that like, you know, Sarah Childs and Andy and all of those girls and everybody, but that whole crew, I mean, you know, I, 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 Long Beach is such an incredible, amazing place. I mean, Steve Foley was one of my very best friends growing up and Joel Nelson. Well, Joel Nelson, Joel Nelson, I remember. So my (laughs) my next door neighbor was a guy, David Valencia, that ended up, he was good friends with Joel Nelson. I remember going over to to sleep over at Joel's house and fucking David Valencia, he was, they were both older than me and yeah. he was like bullying me and Joel Nelson just like freaking floored him. I was like, what the fuck's your problem, dude? Like, this is your friend. Like, stop being a dick. And like, from that day forward, Joel and I were, were really good friends, but I used to do, I was security for Jack of None. <laughs> I, I used to run security for Jack of None. Oh my God. Cause, cause Eric, then, then cause absolutely. EJ, I mean, EJ I was all was, through all of that. I mean, I was, those were all my buddies, you know? Gus, Gus and Dan. And I mean, like I used to go to their practices Damn. every day. All, every time they practiced, I went so much so that I remember they had a show one time in Huntington Beach and like Gus had laryngitis and they called me and they're like, can you come? And I'm like, what do you want me to do? And they're like, we need you to sing. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I know all the lyrics. Oh, I can, okay. I can do it. Oh my God, that's so <laughs> Oh my God. That's so crazy. I mean, it was such a blur for me. I mean, I've said that, but high school was, I was barely getting through. I mean, middle school too. I mean, it was a very emotional time. I I did stuff like, I remember I used to walk to Lowell and one day, I don't remember, I was like seven or eight years old. And I decided that I wanted to just get on the public bus and not go to school. So I jumped on the bus as an eight. Can you imagine this? How old is your son? Six. Yeah, six. So two years from now. And I got on the public bus and rode it all the way to Lakewood. Oh, we'd be, we'd be fucking arrested if that happened now. <laughs> you know, it was so crazy. I mean, yeah. I just was Roman. I was just, and no was, one said anything. No. <laughs> just kid riding the bus. That's yeah. it. Nobody. That's what yeah. I mean. It was just a hands off. It was, everything was going to be okay. Everybody was okay. Yeah. You know, there wasn't alerting anybody. There wasn't, there wasn't that alert. I mean, today a kid walks to school at eight by themselves and people are like, I mean, I was going to preschool, I mean, kindergarten by myself, you know? Yeah. You're going to jail. You're Parents going, are to, going to jail. If, if well, you're, at least you're being, the... you know, yeah. But, but yeah, but we've, I, do you miss Long Beach? 